Well, good morning. Good to see you here on this Easter Sunday, whether you're in the building or online. Uh, my name is James, and the pastor's here. And I'm going to get, begin this Easter message with a bit of a rant. There are way too many days of awareness in the year. Way too many, right? The, like you'll have one day, one day, walk to work day. You'll have on the same day, Daffodil Day, Appreciate Your Siblings Day, and then Taronga Zoo will let me know it's World Giraffe Day. All on the one day. Friday, just gone. I don't know if you're aware of this. It was World Autism Day, which is a good day, but it was also Burrito Day, Find a Rainbow Day, and Ferret Day. <laughs> I was cottoned on to this is a problem when I found out there's a day called Bat Appreciation Day, 17th of April. Now, I'm sorry to offend anyone here, but I don't think the bats need to be appreciated, right? <laughs> Let alone a day for it. And sometimes you have not just a day, but a whole month, right? So the month of April is uh, Parkinson's Awareness Month, which is a good thing. But it's also Adopt a Greyhound Month. Why do they need a whole month? I think we need a royal commission into who is setting these days and how many, right? Today, 4th of April, Carrot Appreciation Day. Hug a Journalist Day. True story. And it's also Easter Sunday. Now, in a calendar that has too many days, why should this day remain? Why should this day stand out? Is it just another day? Whether you're here, you're a Christian, a seeker, or a skeptic, I want to say that Easter Sunday is not just a day of awareness or remembrance or action, but it is the day, the day of celebration, that if you get what this day is about, it will change every other single day in your life. So let's start with what is this day about? Why is it important? In the reading that was just read for us in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul the Apostle gives a great little summary of what this day is. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he said this, For what I received, I passed on to your first importance, right? Here's the summary. That Christ died for our sins, according to Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, right? At the heart of Christianity 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross, a sacrificial death. That's Good Friday. Uh, two days ago, I overheard my daughter saying, hey, it's Good Friday. That means we get to do whatever we want. I was like, eh, not really. That's why we have Good Friday, right? Because we did whatever we want. didn't go well. Jesus died for our sins, right? <laughs> so that's Good Friday, right? But then three days later, we're told he, Jesus did not stay dead. He rose again, and that is this day, Easter Sunday. And you'll notice there, Paul's calls it of first importance, that Christianity starts not with what you have to do, but what's been done. That Jesus died and rose again, and the resurrection is a call not for action or change your morals, but of celebration that is alive. And this is the peace that exists on. This is the climax. This is the high point of Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus is not an add-on or a side dish. It's the very heart of the Christian faith. Because you'll notice what Paul said later on. In verse 14, he says this quite stark statement. He said, 
If Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. What he's saying there, if Jesus did not physically rise from the dead, then all of this is a waste of time. You being here is a waste of time if Jesus is not alive. This day would have as much significance as Bat Appreciation Day, right? Notice he doesn't say, look, even if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, maybe just let's keep the morals, keep the stories, keep the festive. No, no, no. He says, chuck it all out. One Aussie journalist was interviewed about her faith, and she was asked how her faith would go if it was proved that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And she said, I think my faith would be strong enough to survive that. Now, at first, that sounds noble, but in the end, it's nonsense. Because if Jesus is still buried in the Middle East, if he didn't rise from the dead, then all of it is useless. Because who your faith is in is dead. And the sins you thought were forgiven are not. The hope that you have is just fake news, and this day is just another day. So can I can say, if you're here and you're a skeptic, Paul is giving you permission. Give your best arguments. Put energy into finding out how the resurrection did not happen. Because if you find out, tell us Christians, because we need to know, Right? Do not settle for nice statements. Well, it brings them comfort. It makes them feel good. No, no, no. It's either happened or not happened. It's true or not true. And if it's not true, I'm walking. But you have to admit, there's a lot riding from this day, right? Jesus rose from the dead. Now, that's not normal. So we need evidence. A couple of Before we get to the evidence, a couple of objections that a lot of people have. You might be here and thinking, James, I'm a scientific kind of person. I could never believe that Jesus rose from the dead, right? And I respect that, right? But I want to suggest there's actually different types of knowing, right? To keep things a bit simple, right? Scientific study is the study of repeatable events. History is the study of unrepeatable events. There was only one ever first landing on the moon. There was only one assassination of Julius Caesar. There was only one D-Day. There's only been one resurrection of Jesus Christ. To know whether it happened or not, it's not science that helps, but it is history that helps. And like any good story, we turn to the eyewitness accounts, the primary sources of those who recorded it. Yes, but you might be thinking, yeah, but those sources are biased, right? They were written by his followers, But can I suggest, what source isn't biased? There's a historian in this church she was talking to recently, and she was saying she couldn't believe in uh, the Christian faith because, as a historian, she felt the Gospels, they were biased, right? But when she became a Christian, the thing that changed for her was not that she realized the Gospels weren't biased, but that every other source she studies was. If you were reading a biography on Anne Frank, let's say, and you found out the writer liked Anne Frank or was Jewish himself, would you throw it out? When we come to the accounts, we acknowledge they're biased, I'm biased, everything's biased. Let's see what is true. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. So Jesus has risen from the dead. and verse 5 it says, And he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, 
and he appeared to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. You'll notice there's a lot of names and numbers in this account, right? This is not a personal experience between one or two people. This is not a private dream that cannot be tested. This is a public event, right? That about five times the amount of people in this room saw Jesus at one time. They saw, they touched, they interacted, they ate with the risen Lord Jesus. And Paul here is inviting investigation. You may have seen a sign around that looks like this. It's the council saying there's a new proposal, some sort of development. And why do they put this sign up? Because they're inviting opinion. They're inviting comment. Do, are you aware? Now, every now and then, I see one of these signs, and I think they've been slightly moved to be hide behind a bush or something. <laughs> you know, they're sort of like just sneaking right at the back. And when you see those, I don't know about you, but I really want to read it, because I want to say, what are they hiding here? Paul, the apostle, is holding out the resurrection, and he's not hiding it. It's in public view and saying, look, Jesus is alive. There is nothing to hide here. You notice there that 500 people, he's saying to these readers, you can go and talk to them. They're alive. Go ask them what they saw because there's nothing to hide here. But you know, Jesus didn't only appear to those who believed in him. Because it goes on, verse 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Now, to be honest, the disciples themselves didn't really believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. They were told by Jesus, but they were locked themselves in a room, freaking out, right? But there were some, like Paul the Apostle, who hated Jesus. He went on a mission to kill Christians, right? One commentator said this, Paul was deeply offended by the gospel. He was a Pharisee. He was offended by the very idea of Christianity. But then he saw Jesus raised from the dead. Then his likes and dislikes didn't matter. He didn't care which part he liked or which part offended him anymore. He didn't care anymore because he saw that it was a fact. When it became fact, his early opinion no longer mattered. The fact of the matter is no matter who you are, Paul was more offended by Christianity than you. He was killing Christians because of how deeply he offended he was. But when he realized Jesus had been raised from the dead, it didn't matter what offended him anymore. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus was a public event. It was seen by hundreds. The tomb was open and open for investigation. Come and see. And Paul invites you, no matter who you are, whether you're offended or not offended, your likes or dislikes, come and see the risen Lord Jesus. Because if indeed Jesus did rise from the dead, that matters. If Jesus is alive, then it calls you to respond. But how does this day make an impact on your life? So Jesus rose from the dead. What impact does that have on you now? living the 4th of April, 2021. One of my favourite poems is by a guy called Steve Turner. And he wrote a poem from the perspective of Jesus on Easter Sunday. It's the title of the poem is The Morning That Death Was Killed. I'll read it to you. I woke in a place that was dark. The air was spicy and still. 
I was bandaged from head to foot the morning that death was killed. I rose from a mattress of stone. I folded my clothes on the sill. I heard the door rolling open the morning that death was killed. I walked alone in the garden. The birds and the branches trilled. I felt like a new beginning the morning that death was killed. Mary, she came there to find me. Peter with wonder was filled. And John came running and jumping the morning that death was killed. My friends were lost in amazement. My father knew I was thrilled. Things were never the same again after the morning that death was killed. See, that first Easter Sunday, something happened that had never happened before, that things truly were never the same again. Because Jesus, when he rose from the dead, broke a pattern that every human experiences, that we live, then we die. But as 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 says, Christ indeed has raised from the dead the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. That that first Easter Sunday, a new pattern was born. It's not that we live, then we die. No, no, no. We die, then we live. And Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits, a taste of what's to come. His experience can be your experience. His journey, your journey. His pattern, your pattern. Because when Jesus was rose from the dead, as it says there, death had been swallowed up in victory, like a little krill in the mouth of a whale, swallowed up, that that empty tomb consumed death. Now, normally death consumes everything in every single one of us. Death on that first Easter Sunday became the prey for the first time. So much so that you can do what never thought doable. And laugh at death with the words, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where's your sting, mate? I've noticed in the last year, just reflecting on a whole bunch of protests that have happened, protests, whether it's the abuse of women, Black Lives Matter, protests in Myanmar or in Europe about COVID restrictions and lockdowns and all that kind of stuff, all sorts of protests about all sorts of things. But I've never, ever seen a protest against death. Every culture, everyone just submits to the reality that it will win. I'll have a bit of fun in the meantime, but it will win. We all go with it. We don't kick up a fuss. We don't protest. We don't argue. Well, we try and prevent it as much as possible. But every single one of us goes with it and says to death, you win. Except for Christians. Because the resurrection, of Je- de- uh, the resurrection of Jesus means we don't say you win to death. No, no, we look death in the eye and say, you lost. That first Easter Sunday, you lost and you lost bad. That we don't submit, we protest, we even rejoice because death has plucked its sting out. It's gone. And for Christians, death is not the end, but just a bump in the road. Do you have this confidence when it comes to your own death? It's a topic we don't often talk about, but Jesus is saying on Easter Sunday, you don't have to be afraid of it. When it comes, and we don't know when it comes ultimately, but when it comes, you do not have to be afraid, but be confident because Jesus rose from the dead. And he gives you assurance like nothing else will. But what does this new life look like? 
I love these words at the end of the chapter of 15. It says this. We will be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. I'm in denial. Well, not in denial. I've sort of come to terms with really. I'm getting older, and I've moved over to AM radio. But every now and then, I'm sort of in denial and go back to FM radio. And there was one day when I was changing between the two, and I listened to FM radio, and one of the commentators had just turned 30 and was saying how old they were, and they realised 30 is the new 20. They're saying, this is the peak, 30 is the peak. And then I moved over to AM radio, and no joke, another commentator had just turned 60 and said, 60, that's where the peak of your life is. It used to be 50, now it's 60. I'm like, what is it? 20, 30, 50, 60, 70? Everyone's trying to say, this is the peak, this is the prime of your life. But for the Christian, you know what the peak of life is? Life after death. That's the prime. That's the peak. Because, friends, let's face it, we are all fighting decay bit by bit. We're getting slower. It's aching, graying, fading, filling out. We're all slowing down bit by bit. If it's not you, no, it's not yet you, right? It's all happening. And no matter how much kale you eat or positive thinking or Pilates, Death is coming, right? But the resurrected life means in an instant you move from perishable to imperishable, broken to perfect. You peak and you never decay. Because the new life, there is no more goodbyes, no more decay, no more hurt, no more sin, no more anger, no more abuse, no more loneliness, no more disappointment. Like a child in the womb has no idea what life is like on the outside. We have no idea what the life to come is like that the new life Jesus offered is like this world, but it is filtered out all the gunk, all the hurt, all the bad, and nothing can ruin it. That's why Easter Sunday is a game changer of a day, friends. It is the best day because it gives you hope for every day, every single day, because it is look forward to what is coming. It's like working hard knowing that a holiday awaits. It is like hungry knowing there's a buffet coming. It's like being hot and sweaty knowing that there's a cool, freshing pool before you. That is the hope that Jesus offers on Easter Sunday. But as then, let me, let me get personal for a moment. What about you? Where are you at? Because this hope, this life that Jesus offers doesn't just happen. It's not inevitable. It's not like you're sitting there like, oh, okay, cool, looking forward to it. All throughout this chapter, the word believe comes up. Believe. Jesus himself, it's on the screen, said these words, I am the resurrection of life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? My daughter Grace asked me a question a number of months ago. Dad, how do you get to heaven? I don't know how to get there. I said to her, you know, Grace, when you're walking and it's a really hot day and you don't wear any shoes and, and there's like the black bitumen, it's really hot. What do you do? She said, oh, I jump on Dad's back. And I give her a piggyback and I carry her across. When it comes to death, we can't get through it. There is no other way except, as it were, jumping on Jesus' back, clinging to him. That he's carved out a way 
And he guarantees you believe in me, have faith in me, and you'll be with me through the other side. Easter Sunday is a celebration of what Jesus has done. He is alive. But the question is, what are you going to do with that good news? What are you going to do with it? Will you treat it like another day, take the chocolates and go? Will you come to Jesus in prayer and say, you know what? I do believe. I do believe. I believe Jesus, you died on that cross and rose again for me. And if that is you, then Easter Sunday becomes more than just a day. It is a day that changes everything. It gives you a hope, a hope that shows you this life is not all there is, that death will not win in your life. And it changes every day because a bright future awaits. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you, Lord Jesus, are alive. You are the death crusher. And when you rose from the dead, Lord, you changed everything. You gave us a hope that we do not just live and die, but we die, then we live. We ask, Lord, that you would remind us of this hope, that it would change every day, knowing that life is coming. True life is coming because of you. Amen.